0: Let's look at this very big picture, and then let's see what kind of decisions and things that you have to make along the way to help you get there. And then as you make these decisions, how do you keep perfect behavior along the way?
1: Sorry, none of us can hide our way out of our financial worries. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VedEx Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I am your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard. And today, the personal finance thinker leaning heavily on habits is Tom Sico, with Florida Veterinary Advisors and co-host of the Smarter Vet Financial podcast. We talk about student debt, we talk about practice ownership, but most of all, we talk about our attitudes about money where they lead us, and how there might be better ways to face our finances. But first, Tom, tell us about how your team does this. I thought maybe we could start because there are a lot of different things that people do in the personal finance space. And I wondered if you could kind of situate yourself in that market and say, this is the kind of financial service we provide, and this is the kind of advice we give to veterinary
0: professionals. I definitely can.
1: Okay. Hopefully that's not too broad. That's where I want to start. So just take it away.
0: Our position compared to a lot of other people within the veterinary profession or just even advising period, a lot of the emphasis tends to be more on a product sale or like try to buy something very specific. So like, let me elaborate on that where a lot of times people will not go speak to an advisor because they don't think they have any money and they're like well if i don't have any money then i don't really have a need for an advisor because well they're going to help me with my investments which is true to a certain extent absolutely and then there's also the other counter side of things especially in the veterinary profession i see it where i think it's a glorious thing when newly graduating veterinarians they buy long term disability insurance for instance as they're getting out of school because it's super important and likelihood that their health is really good and there's a lot of different circumstances however There's constantly, it's almost like there's a bulldog that got released in the kitten house kind of thing. And it gets to a part where people are now just like they feel like they're getting bombarded. And there's a lot of emphasis trying to get them to just try to buy something, which sometimes people need that. They need that nudging along. And the biggest emphasis like where we've positioned ourselves as our firm and even like where I've started in my career with all of this is that we're really process focused. So instead of me sitting here saying, you need to do this, I want to educate you and I want to give you the details and I'm going to give you option A and I'm going to give you option B. So like option A, like just for instance, just even on the disability side of things of, okay, you have none right now. What's the potential risk to you? Let's talk through it. Okay, so what are your alternative here? Well, you can get coverage. Well, why would you want to get coverage? Well, it's because of X, Y, and Z, and sure. these are different companies. So, like, you know, from a planning perspective, like we start getting people perfectly organized. We need to make sure people understand like what decisions that they're making from a very global picture, and that's how they're they're protecting themselves from lawsuits, sickness, injury, from passing away to how they're managing their income from protecting themselves to saving to paying off debts. Uh, living a very balanced lifestyle and then at the same time how they're effectively approaching their debt repayment how they're building up assets taking into consideration like taxes and risk and how accessible are those funds so we go through a a series of conversations with people where it's really designed to kind of turn over stones and try to expose the skeletons in the corner and then provide more knowledge of saying okay this is where you're currently at and based off of like your life it were as it sits of the things we can control today versus what we can't and how we're trying to build towards some of your goals. These are the things that we should be taking steps in this direction to try to get to where you want to be. And then we start overturning a lot of those things along the way. So
1: when you have those conversations, it sounds like you're sharing information, but you're doing it in a, I think you're thinking about psychology and you're thinking about this person's own personal values about what they value in life and how they want to spend their money now and how they want to spend their money in the future and what most worries them and what doesn't worry them at all. How much of this, when you sit down and sort of go through these conversations and come up with a plan with somebody is lack of financial knowledge. Oh, I should have done that. I didn't know that was there. Or how much of it is they kind of knew what they were supposed to do, but there's something in, how they came up thinking about money or how they think about insurance or how they think about investing Mm -hmm. or as you mentioned how they think about how much money is enough to start making these decisions so then it's like a psychology issue so how much is it financial knowledge and how much is it people kind of poking around in their psychology to find out why they think these things
0: i would tell you it's a lot more on the the psychology than most people would think it is like i would say i'm more of like a behavior and habit expert more than i am Mm -hmm. a financial expert at times because i don't have a lot of financial knowledge but we all have certain behaviors and things that we we've created throughout our lives. It's built our character up, and it really drives our decision making along the way. And I feel like you know the the best way I can always put this is this like you know people have a hammer and they're always trying to find that nail that they can hit. And you know when you're looking at from a, a planning, there isn't like a, a one size fits all for everyone, and everyone's life is a lot different. And I think where an advisor comes really big into play here is that. You know, someone should be guiding you and helping educate you and being able to say, hey, let's look at this very big picture and then let's see what kind of decisions and things that you have to make along the way to help you get there. And then as you make these decisions, how do you keep perfect behavior along the way? So, uh, you know, a lot of times people get stuck to where they, you know, they wait till they've made a lot of decisions. Okay. And then it's very hard for them to sit here and say, Hey, how do I undo them? Because like, either they've lost a lot of time or, you know, money that they could have been putting somewhere else. And, uh, you know, it's, I I would definitely say from, uh, the psychology part of things is like, we'll, we'll sit down with someone and say, from the very beginning, you know, what are your reasons for planning, you know, a year from now, two years from now, like, what do you want to accomplish? Like, what do you want to work towards during that time period? And it's pretty incredible. The mix of conversations we have with people because. There's so many that haven't really thought beyond the surface, and there's some that haven't even thought about it at all. It's just something that they they just started working and <laughs> they just started making a lot of decisions, and that's it. Right. That's
1: interesting. I think those questions, the fact that you said they've made decisions, I think sometimes they make those decisions just sudden in the moment. You know, we were talking about insurance before this and maybe they get sold insurance and they're like "Ah, that sounds like insurance i need so you get it and then you have it for five six seven years then you finally talk to somebody and say here's all the stuff you have well these kind of overlap and and what did you get this for i I don't know i mean so they're trying to make the right decision they kind of make it really quickly and don't totally think it through so how does kind of stopping and taking a real holistic look at all the picture? Do they like that? Do they not like it? How does that play out in these conversations?
0: Most people, I will say that they actually love it. And the biggest challenge of it all is a lot of them feel it's very, uh, very daunting to be able to start doing that. And, you know, imagine trying to make a lot of those decisions. Like I've even just this is kind of completely just kind of one piece of information or one thought process here, but I've like, I've had someone approaching me lately about buying a house and like, you know, the housing market is huge at the moment and they sit here and they're like trying to make a decision of like, yeah, I like this house. It costs X amount of dollars. And we're like, okay, great. It costs $400,000 for this house. And it's like, okay, so what does that mean to you from your ability to save money for you to live the life you want to be able to do, to be able to just be able to enjoy yourself to where you're not feeling what we call house poor at the end of the day. And a lot of people, they struggle with being able to see these things from that bigger picture. And I feel like, you know, you, you've got the choice of actually doing something with it, and you also have the choice of not doing something with it. And a lot of times the easiest thing is like, we're all kind of lazy <laughs> to a certain degree.
1: <laughs> right?
0: Like we're all lazy brained. Like we're always looking for the easiest way out on something, and I mean, I'm guilty of it. There's so many times where like, I see something, it makes sense to me, and then I make a decision. I mean, it's, all that's, you know, going to psychology, it's around like behavior traits around who we are as a person too. Like, are you a driver? Are you amiable? Are you, are you more of an analytic? Like, who are you? How do you define yourself? But at the end of the day, it's just like people tend to, they, they struggle. And what we want to do is be able to say, okay, we can help you be able to take these things and then be able to start looking at them piece by piece. And when we actually start doing that, a lot of people, the confidence that they start feeling and the the clarity that they start gaining in what they're trying to do, it's drastically different. Instead of them taking like a shotgun approach, their financial plan has become an accidental result of a lot of different decisions they've made. So we're able to sit here and then peel it apart and then take, you know, it doesn't matter what phase of their life they're in. They could be at the beginning of their career. They could be towards the latter part of their career and they're ready to retire now. Being able to peel it apart, look at the foundation and then start building upon that foundation to see what we can do to enhance it from their overall objectives of what they're trying to do. And it's people, I've found that like from being in the business now for, you know, over a decade, people love it. It's just a matter of it's like, they don't know where to start. they really, they struggle with that. They're like, how do I even do this?
1: So you have worked with, different kinds of professionals other than veterinarians and i'm wondering if you perceive a difference or maybe there isn't that much of a difference between veterinarians financial knowledge and thinking when they show up at your doorstep and other professionals who show up at your doorstep how have veterinarians been a different audience a different clientele than other groups
0: that's actually a very interesting thought you bring up because the way i always like this money is money you know if you make money you always have to make financial decisions And I believe what's been happening, and this is something I've learned even from several years ago, is this like we all tend to get into this like herd mentality. And what I've noticed a lot within, it's kind of ironic, and you put it like as veterinarians to a certain degree, like I, but like a lot of people will tend to sit here and they kind of cry wolf and they say, like, you know, poor me, I'm in this really bad position. And please, if whoever's listening to this, I don't want you to misread into this anyway. However, it's just like, instead of taking something that feels so daunting and sort of giving up and feeling like, Hey, I can't do anything with my life and really trying to flip that on its head, because it seems like a lot of veterinarians tend to be thinking more on what we call the scarcity mindset than the abundant mindset. So it's like, so many of them are like, I don't have the money. I have all this debt. I have all of these different things. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I've found that that tends to be one of the biggest barriers to the veterinary community, which I think it's starting to shift though, to where, you know, there's some that we we talk to and they're just, they're so stuck. They're so stuck and they can't get out of that mindset that they're in. However, like when we can get a hold of them and start talking with them, it tends to, the conversation around like, you know, student debt tends to be the biggest thing lingering over where so many are like, it just, it seems so insurmountable to them that they're like, I don't know how to handle this compared to you know, the general public or when it comes to like your income and what you, de- you have plays a huge factor in a lot of this. But when we meet with them, what I've really been able to understand from the veterinary community over time, and like, I, I, one, I would just say, veterinarians are like the humble doctor, I love working with them. And at the same notion of it all, like we've really been able to navigate through a lot of these concerns that veterinarians have, to be able to say, hey, how do I still focus on the short term? and also the long-term at the same time where I'm not getting so overwhelmed, where I feel like I can't do anything.
1: So let me ask about that because, so I'll just play devil's advocate. I also think there's some strength to that. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in the past decades about scarcity versus abundance and the, and the fact that a lot of this stuff is mindset. So I do want to ask about that scarcity mindset versus a realistic view of a very difficult decision. Do you find in most times when you sit down with a, uh, let's say a young veterinarian with a ton of student debt, because many of the youngest ones would be the ones coming out with the having just came up with the most, most, and probably paid the most for their school, possibly. So they come to you and they have a ton of student debt. Is it scarcity mindset that makes them worried about this giant lump of money, or is it a oh my the reality of how this money eats their annual and monthly income up? I mean, so how much is it realistic? Like, ooh, this is a rough situation, but then you can get out of it. Ooh, it'll be hard work, but you can get out of it. Or do you think there is some kind of, no, no, it's not that bad. You can actually look at this very positively. How, how are you spinning it there?
0: I find that very fascinating what you brought up here because there's like a mixed kind of personality when it comes to the, okay. the new generation of veterinarians. One thing is we, we actually recorded a podcast ourselves where we, because there's abundant versus scarcity. It's talked about so much, but we added indifferent. As well, because sometimes people just don't care. Like they generally just don't care either way. <laughs> as in they don't
1: even think about the money. They're like, I'm doing the job, I don't care.
0: Yeah, they just they just kind okay. of, they're there. Like they just <laughs> okay. do their job and that's life. Like they wake up every day, they make money, they pay their bills and that's it. They copy, paste, copy, paste every single day. But then you've got, you know, there's what I will say from the abundant mindset, you've hit on a really valid point there is that partially it is because of the uncertainty because like a lot of the time, there's this always this saying is that we're anxious about what's going to happen in the future. We're stressed about what what happened in the past. But when we live in the present, we tend to not worry ourselves too much about anything. And when people are looking at their their future and they they haven't really taken the consideration. Because imagine as you're now going into school, you're you're like I'm I want to become a veterinarian. I'm like I'm so excited about that. And then like these schools that just offer thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to these students that have no real true idea of any fiscal responsibility. And then the education behind like, well, what is my responsibility once I get out of school? Like, what am I obligated to at the end of the day? Which I think it also, to a certain degree, the schools are a little bit at fault here at the same time, which can, this can go to a whole rabbit hole within itself. However, it's like when they get out at the end of it and everyone's over here, like all the chatter that you hear, Like everyone's talking about student loans, student loans. They're so awful. They're so bad. Everyone, I can't do anything. Oh my gosh. Like, it's so horrible. Like, this is like the worst career to get into. Like when everyone says that, like people start believing it. And the more and more that they believe it, the more and more they think it's true, which then it's like, what happens is this, like, they can get kind of sucked into this mentality to where, you know, they just tend to disbelieve that there is no way out. And I will say that the schools and a lot of different institutions are doing a better job these days of now where they're starting to educate them, which again, what you made mention to really, it's, it's the uncertainty of the future where a lot of them, they just don't understand. And uh, we're actually, we do a lot with the veterinary business management association with a lot of the schools Mm -hmm. to where we educate them around different financial topics and different things out there to help create more awareness around these things. And the biggest part of it is like, I want to be super in a way, kind of pragmatic about things. And when I think about, you know, just let's talk about loans, for instance, here for just a second.
1: Okay.
0: Let's say that I have a bunch of loans where I have a choice. Okay. Let's say that I have the ability to be able to repay them. I have the income because I'm maybe in a part of my life where my loans aren't too much, or maybe I just have extra money because I don't have a lot of other expenses that I have to worry about. And I have a choice to either save money or I can try to aggressively pay down my loans. Okay. 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 So the whole reasoning, like the way I always like to communicate this, okay, so if I'm going to pay down my loans over the course of the next 10 years, are you going to be able to save any money during that time period? And I will tell you, most people that I ever talk to, they will be in a position where they're probably going to be able to save very little to nothing during that time period. So then I tell them, okay, so if we look at this 10 years later, now you're 10 years older, you haven't saved any money. And now your horizon to be able to have the ability to not have to work forever have the choice to not work for other is getting shorter. Either it's getting shorter or you're going to have to work longer and be even older before you can stop working. So the, the only way you can make up that time is how? Well, you're going to either have to save more money beyond whatever it is. So can you tell me what the future is going to be like in 10 years from now to really say, hey, this is what my future is going to be like and I can save that amount of money. I mean, I can't, (laughs) I sure (laughs) can't. So like most of the time people are like, no, I can't. So then it's like, well, I can either save more money or I can invest and try to earn more growth off of my money, try to find something to do it. But I can tell you the investment markets are not guaranteed. Right. So there's, there's no guarantee that you can make up that lost time. So, or the flip side is, well, we can look at trying to find more of a balanced approach to saying like, well, maybe we can extend how long we're going to pay off your loans. And we can minimize the payment that you're making to a certain degree, but you can still save a very healthy amount at the same time. So then you get on a, a time period in your mind of saying, okay, well, maybe it's not ideal. 10 years is where I wanted to be at, but now we got to push it to 15, but now I'm able to save 15 to 20% of my income. I'm just kind of making some stuff up here right now, but of course. 15 to 20% of my income. And now every single year, I actually have the choice of two things. My net worth is going to automatically go up because I'm saving. I'm making more money, but then you're also paying off your debt, which your debt should hopefully be going down. So for anyone who's listening to it, we're like, well, my payments aren't even enough for interest. That's a whole other topic within itself. And I do, you know, we do have a conversation we have around that, but you're in the spot now where it's like, okay, every year you can make this decision of saying, well, I've saved X amount of dollars. Do I want to put more towards my loans or do I want to put that into my plan for the future? And you can keep making that choice of like, what do you want to do? And you have that choice. A lot of times people look at this as like they either can or cannot. And it's not the matter of like, I have to pay off my loans in this time period or I don't.
2: (laughs) Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions, a poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two.
1: I want to ask you about two things in there. One is I have the feeling for some subset of veterinarians or for some set of Americans or human beings in general, that debt is horrifying. When they buy a house, they're horrified. They've heard how mortgage is good money. They're buying, they're putting money into the asset, but that mortgage haunts them and they try to pay off the mortgage as quickly as possible because they don't like having that debt on top of them. Do you run into that a lot or not?
0: I will say if there's been someone talking about it because the only time that I have really found it becoming a big thing is people talk about it and they keep saying that like you know you're paying so much in debt but then you have your money sitting here only earning so much in interest so it's a better investment but at the end of the day it's like we maybe get a handful here and there and the way that I always say back to this is like you know by you taking more money and paying it off towards your debt and reducing the amount of interest that you're paying Let's just say for a house are you going to sell your house eventually when you retire and be homeless so you can use that money to then be able to produce income for you when you retire. A lot of them will look at me and be like, no, like I'm not going to do that.
1: <laughs> of course. Right. <laughs>
0: so obviously by putting money into your house, as much as you did, did not help from an income standpoint when you retire. But then also if I put more money towards my debt and I'm going to repay it off as quickly as possible because it's a better investment, I'm paying less in interest. Well, at the end of the rainbow, you have no money saved. So you paid less in interest, but how was that an investment? That was not an investment. That was pretty much getting debt off of your balance sheet. So now maybe you can potentially start trying to invest. So it's like, really, we're looking at opportunity cost. And we're looking at how do we balance all of this? And like, I don't want anyone to get this wrong here either. It's like, it's not really a a matter of like, hey, do I do one over the other? The best approach to anything in life is to find a balanced approach. And when you have a balanced approach, it allows for you to be able to pivot and have flexibility in what you do. You gave, I thought...
1: A thoughtful, good advice, which is, hey, if you have this feeling that you're not sure what you want to do with this money, why not spend a year saving it? And at the end, you decide at some point whether you want to put it here or whether you want to put it there. And don't make yourself make the decision every month, every week, every day, but know that you're going to make it sometime. But is there a tendency also or people for these things for a mortgage for business things running. I know people run their businesses that way. They set their businesses sometimes on autopilot, especially veterinarians can the tendency can be because they don't like the finance part of it. And they don't like some parts of owning a business. So they just set it and forget it. You're kind of this idea that they'd come revisit it every year that kind of goes like, if they just want to set it, and forget it. And as you said, not think about money. I don't want to think about money. So I don't want to think about it once a year. I just don't want to think about it. I mean, do you have hard resistance like that when you talk to people or are these people ready to sort of, I will start this new habit of thinking about this more, even though I have not in the past.
0: I will tell you from the people that we ended up talking to, they want to do something about it. However, if you look at from a statistical standpoint of society as a whole, you know, you're going to have a few different groups of people. You're going to have, you know, people that are going to try to do it themselves. They're going to try to figure it out. There's going to have some people that, like I said, they're indifferent and they don't care. And then there's going to be some people that are like, help me. Like, I, I really need some guidance. And I will say just from the things that we put out there and like we we tend to draw a certain crowd to us of people where they're like, they generally just want to have something to where it's not, they're being told that they're being not smart or they're being put in a position where they feel like they're being talked down upon. They want someone that can really start helping them. But it's at the end of the day where I've just, I find it with people behavior in general with all of it is that it's very easy to lean on other people because like when I say other people like friends and family and facebook groups and you know google and all these other different things than to have someone that you work with because one it's because people are afraid of giving up control and two i also believe some people have a really big concern about accountability they don't want people to be sitting here judging them and they don't want someone to sit here having to tell them what they can or cannot do <laughs> okay. with their money and uh partially i think that's a lot of what it is they're scared of judging or they're they they do not want to be told what to do
1: so outside of ju- the other, you already talked about student debt and I wanted to talk about student debt and we did. The other issue is actually your last two podcasts I thought was really interested. They were kind of about practice ownership. One was about kind of the pros and cons of starting a practice and another ones was how to start a practice with a partner. And I know maybe one of the things we talked about when we were initially talking about doing a podcast was practice ownership. I followed for many years seeing that the trend, both men and women of graduates was down, that more veterinarians said they were not looking at ownership. So fewer potential owners. So fewer owners, so that's the new reality and fewer people who think they're not interested. When you sit down with people, are people ever asking you, I'm not even sure if I can own a, I own a house, I'm worried about saving, I'm paying down student debt. I don't understand how I could own a practice or over the course of your conversations, is that thrown out as an option? And then people are like, oh, maybe that isn't completely crazy. So do they come to you with like, I want to own a practice? How do I make it happen? Or do you kind of like, is it part of a menu of things that they think about while they're there?
0: So the ones that we talk to in schools, yeah. especially in the VBMA, they, a lot of them are already getting kind of pre you know, prerequisites or pre programmed in a way to get thinking about practice ownership? Right. Yes. I will say that there is a, a very special mindset that comes to owning a business. And, you know, the the previous generation of veterinarians that have owned businesses, like they've they've started something, they may have maybe have created something relatively good. It's making them money. They're not very business savvy. A lot of the practice owners that we have worked with throughout time that's just very good at doing medicine, but when it comes yeah. to understanding how much money they're making and like how much money they're losing, how much they're taking as income, what they're paying people. Like they have no idea about that. So like their business, their business savviness tends to be very limited. And then they lean a lot on other professionals out there, which I don't know, the advice is kind of like a yo-yo. It's up and down. It's a lot of, and I'm very mixed opinion about it at times. Um, it's especially just looking at, not even from opinion, but more a fact of like, Hey, is this really good advice? Or is it more of you're really getting kind of You know half-assed kind of advice here right now
1: in those cases is that typically just someone do they kind of they have someone who they have a cpa who they have a bookkeeper person they have a tax person might be the same person they have an insurance person is that kind of the menu of people they might just be talking to in little niches
0: yeah they might have like a let's say a banker maybe an attorney maybe not they have an accountant hopefully they're a cpa maybe they have a bookkeeper maybe their cousin And then what happens is this, like, I find it very common when I ask them about it, like, hey, do you have any up-to-date profit loss statements? And many of them will say, yeah, I believe my accountant's been preparing them. And then when we actually start digging further and further, they have nothing. Maybe their accountant hasn't really been filing their their tax returns. They don't even know how much, how they're paying themselves. Like, they're maybe taking a very small amount of income from the business, maybe taking extra money out of the business every so often, but there is no clear, like, cut distinction of how they're doing things and you know some of these professionals i will say they kind of check off the boxes and then at the end of the day though from a more of a strategic planning or really guiding them to help them understand where they're trying to go because like let's just say for instance a practice owner while we're here yeah is like when i'm looking to at the end of the day if i'm going to own a business there's a significant amount of risk and a lot of stress that comes with it okay so a lot of them can either be numb to it and just sort of do their thing like i've seen some practice owners that just kind of ignore everything and then maybe their practice manager does some stuff but it's still kind of like i don't know what's going on here at times it just seems like there's so many questions
1: but the doors stay open and the lights stay on and we can buy the medicine and things seem fine yeah
0: money comes in money goes out (laughs) we're doing good we're fine but then at the end of the day it's like if you're going to be a practice owner and I think this even comes back to new people who want to become practice owners is you got to have a, an idea of how you want to eventually get out of the business. How do you want to exit the business? I'm a certified exit planner, so is my business partner CJ. And you know, a lot of times people will think like, "Well, I'm not ready to leave." Of course. But before you even start in any business, you need to sit down and understand. Okay, so why am I doing this, and what's the point of it? Is it just a practice because the medicine that I want to do? Are you trying to have a certain lifestyle or an income that you're trying to generate? But a lot of times, practice owners, like especially even today. They rely on that sale of their practice to fund their ability to retire. So there hasn't really been any real strategy or plan behind it. And some of them are taking a income drop because they haven't planned properly for it. Or if they had ambitions of wanting to sell it to another veterinarian, you've got all these buying groups that are jumping in here now offering, you know, exorbitant amounts of money. I think I've seen it being up and down when it comes to what they're paying over the last few years. And, you know, these people who want to become practice owners and they want to buy the practice, they can only get so much money for funding. So then like the, you know, I can either sell my business for, you know, three to five times what they call EBITDA, uh, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. It's a big mouthful. Uh, It's really just your profits. You know, you can sell it to another veterinarian for three to five times that number, or I can sell it to a buying group for eight to 15 to 20 times that number. So a lot of, you know, people out there are, are selling to these buying groups because of that ability, because they're, they're relying very heavily on that. So, you know, what we're really trying to show people, if you are someone that wants to start a practice right now and you're wanting to, like we have clients of ours that we work with that for the last five years They've worked for someone else. And now all of a sudden, like after conversation and like really discussing and trying to teach them more business acumen, they're like, I want to start my own practice now because it just, it makes more sense for them. And they understand how it fits into the bigger picture Okay, for them to do those things. So especially like even people who are in the middle of their career, you know, we have some practice owners that are in their thirties and forties and like, they're, they're kicking butt. But then at the end of the day, like if they don't have a really good plan of how they're, you know, saving money from the business for themselves personally, how they're creating a good culture for their employees, what their ambitions are, their goals, to either grow the practice or want to stay the same. Um, How do they eventually want to transition out of it? Like if they don't have these questions asked, now they're going to potentially be in a spot where, you know, Hey, I'm going to be at the end of the rainbow and then they're going to be stuck in a spot where they, you know, they don't have options. Like it, it just, it is what it is. And I, I will say the scary part for a lot of people when I'm trying to be a business owner. How do I know that I want, I'm getting the right advice and that I'm doing the right things and really being able to get those right people on the way to help is, is someone that, you know, again, like I said, like a lot of us tend to be very, very lazy in nature. We're just, it's a human nature of ours. Like we try to find the easiest solution possible. And a lot of the times they're like, yeah, I met this accountant. I met this attorney. And then there's no change. Nobody wants to change. They don't want to adjust to anything. Right. And then they don't find out that it was a bad decision until they find out, <laughs> which is I'm retiring now.
1: Obviously, one thing they could do is go find someone who's not just going to look at a little sliver of their finance and sell them a particular product that they need, but someone who's going to sit down with them and look at kind of, again, as kind of I said at the beginning, what are your values for how you want your life? to be now and how you want your life to be in the future what is your current your total financial system how are we going to set up habits to make sure this happens i mean so they could go get someone is there some other is there a not a diy but do you have one number one piece of advice you give to veterans even ones if you sit and talk to them are like well i don't think i'm ready to work with you now but what should i go do do you give them a number one thing like you should go start doing this or you should go read this or you should go listen to this
0: yeah actually i think that's something great that you bring up when it comes to every person's different from a planning perspective, of course. So can I give like a cookie cutter of like, you need to do this with your business? (laughs) Yeah, come on, just make it easy. Yeah, I wish I could. I think the easiest part that I would say in there from any person, the simplest thing I could do if they want to talk or not want to talk. There's a book called the four disciplines of execution. Okay. And the four disciplines of execution. I've even modeled my business. CJ and I, we've modeled our business around it. And I've also modeled my own personal life. And it's by a person called, uh, was it Sean Covey? It's Stephen Covey's son. He created the seven habits of highly effective people. Yeah. And uh, he really breaks it down into being able to find clarity on how to motivate your team, but at the same time, understand the overall, what they call the war that you're fighting and all the little battles that you're fighting in between. So, you know, your, your practice as a whole has a um there's other books out there too called like traction and everything else but i think i think the four disciplines of execution has done a phenomenal job to really simplify some of these things and it's not as not as robust like i feel like traction is like a lot that you go through but four disciplines of execution is there's the four that they talk about is you know define your wildly important goals
1: mm-hmm.
0: look at your lead and lag measures so lead measures are things you can control that you have some sort of impact on the, the end result which would be your lag measures. So like, let's say, you know, we're trying to generate $1.5 million of revenue for our business this year. What do we need to do to get there? Like, what are the lead measures? So there might be something from an overall business standpoint, but then each person on the team has different, their own wildly important goals that they're fighting. There's also what they call a a scoreboard. There's a way to be able to track what's happening. So they, Mm -hmm. they have an idea of what they need to be doing along the way. And then at the same standpoint, there is a a cadence of accountability. So when there is this structure that's created in there, so one, I think even just doing the exercise of understanding like what is the war that we're trying to fight, and then being able to define what all these little battles that we're trying to do in between, it can give a lot more direction of like, okay, so what do I want from my business compared to just kind of waking up every day, going there, doing work, and then going home, taking my paycheck from the business really like, what am I trying to accomplish from this? And I, you know, there's some people that will really take this and they will try to implement it into their business. And some will, you know, they they will try to figure out like, how do I go about doing this? And uh, that's probably the best that I can say from a getting your, your bearings right to understanding like, okay, so this is how, how I should probably be approaching things versus just saying like, Hey, look, I'm just running my business and it just kind of making money and things are going okay.
1: Want to learn more about Tom's take on personal finance? Visit him at flveterinaryadvisors.com or on the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.